Right. So, uh, Reagan, she's, you know, Reagan, you're one of the most amazing people because she's grown so much um, spiritually over the years, but you've aged very little. I mean, it's crazy. She, she looks a lot today like she did in 1993. Two? 1992, yes. Gosh, that's, a, that's been a while, hasn't it? Oh, man, what a... F- what a great. So are you all enjoying going through First Corinthians and getting, have you been reading the emails and the daily readings? Just nod your head. Yes. Don't, you know, don't worry about it. Uh, so it's been very exciting. And, you know, I pastor Morningstar Church in Lawrence. And then, of course, Bluemont Church is, we, we consider Bluemont Church a sister church to Morningstar. And we also have a sister church in Kansas City, uh, City Life. And so you all, uh, started the First Corinthians series a week before we did, and then the church in Kansas City, City Life, they're going to start it a week after us. So Jonathan spoke here this last week, and he's now in Lawrence at, Blue, at Morningstar Church, and then the following week, he'll be in Kansas City at City Life. And so I'll be here this week, then Morningstar, and then City Life the following. So it's kind of an exciting uh, a way for for us to be able to kind of uh, each of the the pastors kind of to really focus in on a one particular week at the beginning and then we're on our own the rest but you know this uh, this week is covering uh, chapters five six and seven in first Corinthians so the emails that you will get are the chapters 5, 6, and 7 broken up into six days with some commentary and some questions. You know, when we, when we really think about uh, this 1 Corinthians and this series, but in particular the, the letter, as uh, pa- Pastor Rob talked about two weeks ago, it's like you're reading somebody else's mail. And if you think about it, it's really interesting that the, Paul wasn't writing to us he was writing to a specific group of people in a specific time with, with certain issues and challenges. And so, you know, here we have this, but now our job is to read it and to read it as the Word of God. But in order to do that, we have to understand that we have to, cre- we have to come up with these creative analogies to what they were going through to what we're going through. And... This week, though, in many ways, that that what we're going to talk about this morning, it's not a very far, you know, leap or analogy because what they were experiencing at the ground level in Corinth, which Paul was addressing, is a lot of what we're seeing today in our culture, in our world. And so I think that's pretty exciting that we're going to be kind of following along that. And so I just want to, uh, in 1 Corinthians 5, chap, uh, verse 6, chapter 5, verse 6, Paul says this, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Now, you know, when you read and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he addresses a, an issue of immorality that he says even the Gentiles turn their nose up at that degree of immorality. And he really isn't addressing the individual when he writes in in chapter 5. He's actually addressing the community. 
and what their response was to this degree of immorality. And he's and, and saying, hey, do you not realize as a community that individual behavior affects everyone? And you, when you think about that, you know, to think about when Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians, you know, we have to understand that his heart is, is he realizes that he has this pastoral task, this, this pastoral task of, of community formation. He's trying to gather these people together around their common faith into this divine community because he knows in the, as a wise master builder and a strategist of the kingdom of God that the greatest way to impact the world and, God, and mankind's greatest hope is these divine communities, which we also call the church. And so he's very passionate. Paul writes with a passion to see the community form that is the church, a multi-ethnic covenant people bound together by their allegiance to Jesus, bound together by their allegiance to Jesus and his love for them, that that their li- they live by a radical different value system. Now, when you read Corinthians, you have to be aware of this passion that Paul has. If, if you don't understand the passion behind this letter, you'll miss. And it, his passion is this fatherly heart towards the Corinthians and wanting to build them into this community. This passion is a direct outgrowth of his apostleship, and as a wise master strategist of the kingdom of God, he knows, like I said, this is the hope for mankind, this divine community. Paul's writings have the impact they do because these communities, this letter is successful, and we know that this letter is successful because we still have this letter because the communities responded to Paul's letter and responded by faith to what he was saying, and they began to live differently and to make the adjustments that Paul encourages them to do. And just in the same way that God wants us. So when we read, and this is, this is difficult for us to read, particularly Corinthians, to read the Corinthians as we're doing like cross-cultural investigation because we have been, our brains have been fashioned and programmed to think so individualistically that when we read something, we immediately think, what's this mean to me? Where to really understand Corinthians, you have to think about it, what does this mean for us? The Hebrew mind is a lot different than the way our Uh, western mind works they think in terms they sing songs not like oh i love you lord i thank you lord those kind of songs what they sing is god we are glad you are here with us oh lord we bless your name because they think in terms not individualistically but a higher degree of community and so when paul writes that about the that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough he is addressing that now uh here's an incredible quote and just to reinforce this to read first corinthians rightly we must hear ourselves addressed as the church if we fail to keep this perspective in mind 
If we suppose that we can understand the letter as isolated scholars or spiritual persons, we are likely to misread the letter at every turn. So we have to understand that this letter that Paul's writing, and as you read this week in particular, these, these sections of chapter 5, 6, and 7, you have to, to, in order to really grasp what Paul is saying, you have to read it as terms of a community. Not individualistically, because the goal isn't personal spirituality when you read this. It's much deeper and beyond that. So, you know, when, when we think about that, Paul goes on uh, to say uh, th- that his, his, uh, his, his um, motivation is also this transformational process. He's trying to get the Corinthians to think and to become part of a transformational process. So think about it this way. Much of the issues Paul is addressing in Corinthians are due to their understandable, understandable tendency to act and think in ways that were entirely normal within the Greco-Roman world. So these issues he's addressing are pretty common with the way everybody else is living. But in order to form this community, Paul invites the Corinthians. That's what, this, that's what God's doing with us as we speaking to us. He, he, in order to form this community, Paul invites the Corinthians to view the world in dramatic new ways, in light of values shaped by the Christian story, and in particular, the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So we can see Paul here is not afraid of conflict. He, he's not really worried because, again, man, he, he started this work. He put his blood, sweat, and tears into this. He has a deep care and concern for these people that he, you know, in, in essence, birthed into the kingdom. He has a heart. He's not afraid of cl- conflict. And he's going to call the Corinthians, as you read it, over and over again to live above mediocrity. He is going to call them up to the excellence, the excellence of love as defined by the gospel and accountability. So, you know, when we, as we look at this, it's amazing. This, God, God is, we see how the heart of Paul talking to the Corinthians, calling them into living differently and to think differently. And that's what we're going to think about today. Because in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, Paul says this, flee immorality. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. So that is really a philosophical statement Paul is making. And one that we're going to delve into. And then on in Corinthians 6, 20, Paul says this, for you have been bought with a price, been bought with the price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now, this is incredible. Another philosophical state. He said, hey, you've been bought with the price. In other words, Jesus Christ died for you, body, soul, and spirit. Jesus just didn't die for your spirit or your emotions. Jesus died on the cross for your body. He bought your body. 
He owns your body. And he says, you've been bought with the price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now, we're going to look at this. And uh, Pam's going to come up here in a moment. But just to kind of like set the tone, though, because Paul understands, again, he, he's not amazed. He, he's not necessarily shocked because, again, the Corinthians, you know, understandably are beginning to live in the, according to the culture of the world in which they, the, their, their behavior is normal. But what Paul's trying to address is like what is normal is abnormal in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he, 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 but in order for us to really embrace and hear the heart, he, he, we want to read this out of 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Let me just read it to you. Just think about it. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Then goes on to say this. Such were some of you. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Paul saying this. Look, don't be deceived about what right and wrong is. But realize that we all have and to some degree, participated in these things. And it doesn't matter what the past is. It's like what Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery. Hey, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. It's not so much important what our past is. It's what, we're, what, what our goals are in living out the life that God has for us. And so we're going to look at some things based on this understanding of the body and some of the issues that are current and, and some of the things that would apply to us today that Paul was addressing to the Corinthians. So as Pam is coming up, I just want to uh, just share this, that this book, Love Thy Body, we brought a few copies. Uh, we just like love this book. And if you all really want like additional resources into what we're going to talk about, 75% of what we're really going to talk about now is in this book, very informative book, Nancy Piercy, incredibly written and help you understand. If you have kids in high school or, or you know, your college student and what's going on, this would be an incredible book. Talks about the worldview of what we're talking about. And so how many of you think you would really like to read a book like this? Raise your hand. Okay. I'm going to give this one to you. So the right over there, look, it's not like we're not, we didn't write it. We're not selling it, but we got some because we wanted them to be available. They're $20 and, you know, we're just going to pay for them. All right. Because I have a lot of slides too here and I have to get through this. And it's bad enough that we have to listen to the pastor's wife talk about sexuality, right? How did that happen? How did I draw that, that straw? I don't know. But, um. So I don't know if you've, um, if you uh, have noticed, but sexual sin uh, is literally destroying, you know, people, families, fabric of society, and um, it's like you can you can really hardly go a day if you listen to the news or you're on any kind of social media where, um, you know, you don't hear about sex abuse or trafficking or effects of fatherlessness or abortion or rape or 
you know, uh, just all the things that play out from that. It's just, it's, you can't go a day without being affected by it. And um, uh, recently, you know, even I, we've, John and I, we've had uh, foster kids. Our, our kids are, our, our youngest is in college now, and so for the last six months, we've had two boys living with us, and at times I look at them and I just would think, oh my gosh, they, they're in, you know, the foster care system, and a lot of the reasons that they're living with us is because, you know, their, their parents weren't married, and, you know, the, the, the problems that that caused in their lives and, you know, choices, they were affected very much by that, and here they are living with us, you know, God help them. So, um, I've been involved in like, something in Lawrence uh, through a group called Justice Matters, where we're looking at restorative justice in schools. And the more you delve into the issues that that you know that surround that, the more you realize, like, oh my gosh, there's so many effects, like in in how um, kids are succeeding in education and um, just in so many ways because of really what comes down to sexual sin. And so it very much is something that we need to understand and talk about. And I thought John just did a great um, job of introducing, you know, that it really matters. We all come to Jesus at the same place at the cross, and it matters how we hear some of these things and move forward with our lives. So um, this last summer we went to a conference, and we learned a word that I really love, integrate and integrity. And it, there's like having a great word is a really powerful thing that you can understand concepts. So do we have that? Integrate up there? Integrate means to renew, to restore, to perfect. And then the word integrity means wholeness, entireness, unbroken state, the entire unimpaired state of anything, particularly of the mind, moral soundness or purity, incorruptness, uprightness, honesty. Integrity comprehends the whole moral character, but has a special reference to uprightness and mutual dealings, transfers of property and agencies for others. So this is just a really powerful word um, as we go forward um, in helping understand what we're talking about. So I wanted just to begin by talking about how the concept of truth has been divided. And because we grow up in a culture where this happens all the time, it's, it's like it's in the air we breathe, it's in the water we drink. We, we really don't even see it. And maybe some of you are familiar from um, being at church, you know, you're hearing about the sacred-secular divide and how that relates to our vocations and that there's, you know, every job is uh, sacred. All work is sacred. It doesn't matter if we work in the church or we work in the community or what our, you know, but all work is sacred. But that's just one example of that divide. So recently this idea of fragmentation has just hit the, 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 how we view the human body, okay? It's become especially focused on that. So human life and sexuality have really become the moral issues of our age. And it's, you know, easy to get caught up and talk about things um, every late, you know, the newest and latest controversy, right? But the current events are really just the surface effects, like the waves at the top of the ocean. And the things that are really happening that matter are these shifts that take place um, at the worldview level, right? They're, ap- they're happening like, uh, worldview is like the tectonic plates that, whose movements cause those waves that we see. So all the things that we hear about, you know, are just the surface things. And what we want to do is understand why, why is there so much going on at the surface? 
So we're not immune just because, you know, we may follow Jesus. You know, we're not immune to those, the movements of those plates. And, um, you know, we go to the same universities, live in the same world, listen to the same news and that sort of thing. And, you know, in, in fact, that's why we see things like the statistics for Christians are really pretty much the same as people who don't profess to follow Jesus. You know, divorce is the same. You know, pornography use is the same. Um, a lot of those things. So they're not much different for people who claim to follow Jesus or not follow Jesus, which is a pretty profound statement when you think about it. So I, I like to imagine a world where at least, um, you know, Christians are, are coming together and understanding what it means to have sexual integrity because that alone, that alone, Christians living like that, that alone will help heal the world, will help change the world. So um, I think one thing is, one problem is people tend to think of and treat morality as a list of rules, where God really wants to take us into these wide open spaces, kind of like Asia described. You know, it's like God's plan for us is to burst through that wall and to live in this wide open space. And Christians sometimes get taught, caught in this place of just talking about, well, what are the rules of morality? And, you know, where purity can kind of masquerade as integrity and wholeness. And, and that's just not the case. So we, ha- we have to break through all of that first to even have a great conversation about that. So um, every moral system rests on a worldview. And every decision we make, every single decision we make, um, we're not just deciding what we want to do. But it's an expression of what we really believe uh, the purpose of human life is. Of what our life, wh- what's our purpose. So we get to live, live according to a different moral ethic and to learn to, you know, to think the way that God thinks about everything. And that process is called having our minds renewed, right, and understanding life to be different. So um, we, we begin to understand that God is who he says he is and who he has revealed himself to be in his word. And so the Bible is first and foremost, and this is just a great way to think of the Bible, I think, is a book of reality. It's first and foremost a book of reality. And we see, what we're going to see is that what it talks about is it works. Okay? And we'll talk more about that. We can understand our nature, God's nature, the nature of life itself, our purpose from the Bible. And um, in the past, you know, most civilizations held that reality really consisted of um, both a natural order and a moral order. And they were integrated into one overall unity, okay? So um, we'll talk a little bit more about that. The church fathers, in fact, understood that God's revelation comes to us in two books, two books, the book of God's word and the book of God's world, which is creation. Nature is an expression, okay? We see everything in the created world. Nature is an expression of his purposes and a revelation of his character. In fact, we're told that God has revealed himself in the natural world to such an extent that man is without excuse before him, that he's revealed himself to such an extent and shown himself in the natural world that, that we really stand without excuse. It all speaks to the fact that God exists. And even though our world is fallen and broken by sin, even though we see that all around us every day, it still speaks of, his, of our creator. We can read signs of his existence and purpose in creation. Our, our, for example, just our eyes are for seeing, right? We understand that. Our ears are for hearing. And um, each part of our bodies interact to achieve the purpose of the whole, 
So we can, that's just a, a simple thing to see. I homeschooled our nine-year-old granddaughter last year, and we had a third-grade um, health book that it's like you, you could read, understand the human body at a third-grade level and understand that there's a creator. It's very obvious. So, um, you know, since our bodies are part of that natural created one, we respect and honor our bodies as part of the revelation of God's purpose for our life. They are part of a created world that declares the glory of God. And so that's our starting point. But in the modern age, many people came to think that reliable knowledge is possible only through um, scientific facts. And this is where we're going to talk about this, this uh, split so knowledge is possible only of the natural order, the empirically testable scientific facts. And, you know, that came to us in, in our modern age through maybe Darwinism and the scientific revolution, although I think Paul was addressing some of these same things in the, in the time of the um, first century. So what's the implication if we have this kind of split? What's the implication then for moral truth? You know, moral truths can't necessarily be stuffed into a test tube, right, and tested in the same way as um, more scientific facts, right? They can't be put under a microscope. And so many people concluded that morality really doesn't have an objective truth, that there's no objective truth. Morality is simply our personal feelings and preferences. And if nature isn't the handiwork of God, then it no longer provides a basis for any moral truths. And then it's a morally neutral place where humans can impose their will. And there's nothing we're morally obligated to respect. And so that was kind of where that breakdown came. So this unified concept of truth has been exploded and split into two separate domains, which I think you can see, um, you know, this, this uh, read the, how it's been split. So there's this upper story and there's this lower story. Um, the sacred-secular divide would have had, you know, at the top part there, sacred. The sacred things would have been like our spirit, our soul, church work. And down at the bottom there for the secular would have been our, um, our bodies, our intellect, our professional work. And so that's how that became split. And so, see, we just live in this. We just live with this. This is how our minds work. This is how we think about the world because we've just grown up in this. And this is, and so this is where we really have to press in and lean in and um, have our mind renewed to see life differently. Um, the key, really, this next slide, the personhood theory, is really fascinating, and it's talked about in that book. And it's really the key to understanding all of the controversial and confusing issues that we are faced with today, and um, it's that the human being has likewise been split, fragmented into this upper story and lower story as well. It's like taken, it's this radical dualism towards the human being where we've actually split um, the human being into this upper story and lower story too. So it's created a pretty fractured and fragmented view of the human being where the body is treated separate from your authentic self. So your body is in this lower story, but that's not who you are. Your authentic self rests in that upper story. That's who you really are. And once you begin to understand that, you can really begin to understand all of the issues of today. And Jesus, you know, because he is truth, he calls himself truth, and that's like with a capital T, right? He, he leads us on a journey to rediscover the a more reality-based morality 
that expresses a positive and life-affirming view of that idea that we are made in the image of God. It's more inspiring and it's more affirming and it's more liberating than any other view and it elevates the human being, actually. So what I want to do, so what are just some of the implications for this kind of thought? You know, let's just really quickly here um, s- apply some of these things that to some of the issues that we see happening today in terms of sexuality. So if the body is a separate, if the body is separate from the person, then what you do with your body sexually need not have any connection to who you are as a whole person. Now, I don't know if you've ever said that kind of thing or talked with someone who, you know, is explaining that to you, but that is just the wildest kind of thought for someone who's in their 50s. You know, like, what? That's just what? You know, and we have five kids, and we've, you know, this is, we've been talking about these things. But um, the fact that that has nothing to do, to do with who you are as a, as a person is just like a fascinating thing and has not always been what people believe. So um, the idea is that sex can be purely physical, separate from love, but not in, uh, in, an, in the idea of integration and wholeness. That's just not the truth. It's not reality. And the most complete, intimate, and physical union is meant to express the most complete and intimate personal union of marriage, in which Paul talks then that that points to the Trinity, points to the, the relationship in the Trinity, which Paul also says is also a, um, the mystery of Christ and his church. So marriage points to other things, okay? So it's kind of all become unhinged from that. Um, in this personhood theory, merely being human no longer guarantees that you have a right to life, right? It's become unhinged. The idea of your humanness has become unhinged from the fact that you have a body, if you can understand that. Your humanity is no longer connected to the fact then that you have a body, which is why um, a baby now, a baby that hasn't been born, um, it's not enough that they're human and alive. They don't have what's now called personhood, okay? They don't have personhood. They don't have an ability to make decisions. They don't have self-awareness. And so they're just a non-person with a body. And so it's just, you can see just that radical fragmentation and dualism at work here. So another application is just in the, the hookup culture, the hookup idea of, you know, that idea of what sexual sex is. You know, and I, I think it's fascinating that we keep trying to make it work. You know, you just, there's, there's rules of the hookup culture. You know, it's not like it just happens in a vacuum. There's actual rules, you know, about how this is going to happen. But um, we keep trying to make it work, but it doesn't because it's a worldview that really isn't grounded in reality which is why it leaves wreckage everywhere, which is why um, the two most prescribed uh, medications on a college campus are Prozac and birth control pills. And I don't think that that's a coincidence because we're, you know, there's that idea that, well, this must be able to work because people are telling me that sex is just this thing, but, you know, but you know, it's not connected to my emotions, to my, you know, my mental well-being. And, and so do you see that that's where the Bible is a book of reality? That doesn't work. It doesn't fit with who we are, who God's made us to be. And that's why it will never work. So it's an inadequate view of human nature. 
So sex there in the hookup culture is like this lower level relationship, just physical, but the emotional and mental part of it is something we completely ignore. And there's rules to that. You know, there's rules that we know to the hookup culture. You know, you will not be needy. You will not uh, expect a relationship. You will not expect to be friends. You will not expect, you know, there's just, we have to have all these rules because naturally it's not going to work without some rules like that, right? So um, it, it really robs sex of being the, um, deeper, the deeper, more holistic yearning. I think, to connect with another person and to, um, you know, which is more in the context. Context really matters. So another uh, way that this whole, um, this whole theory here works is in porn addiction, which porn is extreme depersonalized sex, which now, you know, has been widely recognized as a public health crisis in America. So it's just another way it looks, you know, um, this, this same kind of thing, you know, and I would say that, you know, there's a path to healing, but that, that is just nothing to consider other than an addiction that will, um, will destroy you from the inside out, and what it might look like in your 20s being addicted. I have a brother who's been, I think, addicted to drugs for probably closer to 35 years, and what that looked like when he was 20, you know, 18, 19, 20, starting out, and what it looks like as a 50-year-old are two different things, and so, that's something I think, you know, to take very seriously and to realize that um, something like an addiction like that looks very differently when you've given your life to it for 30 years, and it, it won't lead you to a good place. And so then we've kind of touched on this, but abortion. When you detach personhood from uh, biology, then personhood is determined subjectively. Who is human, right? This baby's body that Jesus died for, that baby's body as well, is not as important as my body. You know, Christianity is really the only worldview, and this, uh, you know, people that aren't Christians would say this, but Christianity is truly the only worldview with the intellectual resources to protect innocent victims because a human being is human because of their biology, because they are biologically alive and they're human, and therefore they have all the rights. In the... um, and the transgender, that's, that's kind of the newest, you know, the latest thing. The message there is, the belief is, I am not my body, right? I'm not my body. Who I am, my authentic self, doesn't match the biology, my, my physical body. And um, the implication is that your body doesn't matter, only your inner sense of self matters, right? Because they've been disconnected. So it's only what you're that top level. My inner sense of self, I'm biologically female, but my inner sense of self is male. And so it's really based on um, feelings, you know, what you feel like you are at any given time. And if the meaning of our sexuality isn't something that we derive from our bodies, then it's something that we're going to impose on our bodies, which is a pretty fascinating thought. So... In the um, understanding of homosexuality, maybe, too, is that my feelings are defining my identity, okay? Not my biological gifted body. But as a 50-year-old female, I can tell you your feelings will fluctuate greatly from one day to the next. And over time, they fluctuate. And so your identity can't be based on something that you reason from the... the, the, 
what you've been given in your physical body from God. And so um, the most reliable marker of who we are is our physically embodied God-given identity as male and female. So I would say that just years of sex education with no instruction about, you know, how to communicate or give yourself to another person who you've committed to build a life with or raise children with. I mean, there's been sex education from the time in schools now that kids are like third grade, you know, on up, all kinds of sex education where it's literally all about the physical part of it, not anything else. Not It just seems like not anything else to me. You know, the message of, you know, kind of don't be boring, be like a porn star, you know, that's the message. And, and then, you know, there's nothing about how do we maintain relationships, meaningful connection, how do we, um, you know, and the fact that there's joy in having meaningful connected relationships. So sex was really never meant to be something separate from our deepest spiritual and relational longings, but to be an expression of them. So, um, what biblical morality, I'm wrapping up here, John, so, but what biblical morality really asks us to do is to be consistent, to be consistent in what we say with our bodies and what we say with the rest of our lives. And it encourages, encourages us toward this place of telling the truth with our bodies, in a sense, that we live as integrated, um, connected, telling the truth with our bodies kind of people. And I'm going to let John finish up with that. Thank you, Pam. You know, as we just uh, close, you know, there, there's such fundamental understanding that comes from the genius of Paul in his letter. And just the, the, the really the deep philosophical reality statements that he makes. You know, you, when you lean into the Bible and you let the Bible, you know, shape your thinking... And you, like Pam said, you become, you know, able to see reality, not not the distortion that you've been given, but what's true, what works, what's real. And, you know, it's there's there's so much evidence for the traditional family and 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 the monogamous relationships and the and the and the gift that it is to the world. And so, you know, as we think about this, just the idea of Pam touched on it, but how can we be causal? How can we be people that really affect and change the world? And it is this notion that we get from 1 Corinthians is by becoming the people that God has called us to be, to allow God to call us out of the norms of the culture into developing this beautiful image bearers, of the kingdom of God, of being a com- divine community that, f- that flows and, and, and lives and dwells with the excellence of love as its backdrop. And so much of, of, of sexuality is real, true love. And, you know, that's a guiding force, as Paul says. So let me just close. I want to close in prayer and um, wrap this up. Father, I just thank you for your goodness And, Lord, there's just so much here. But, Lord, you've called us, Father, to be lovers of you and lovers of truth. And, Lord, we just thank you for this week 
And Lord, how you unpack this over and over again to us to help us understand these fundamental truths, to live our life in a way that, Lord, brings glory to you. Lord, to glorify God in our bodies. And, Lord, I just pray, Father, for a richness of forgiveness. Lord, that you cleanse our past and you restore us to wholeness. Lord, to walk in integrity. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.